This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org slash UT. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. Guys, it is so good to be together tonight. Um, we had a great day, didn't we? Um, I So one of my hobbies is long distance running, and I, this is a new hobby of mine, new like three years or so. And um, I'm used to running and like putting my body through all kinds of pain, but I'm not used to what all we did today. So uh, we'll see if we can get through this, this sermon. Um, so let me remind you, songs for the road, songs for the road. Why? It's a long pilgrimage, this Christian life thing. It's not an overnight process. And when you do any kind of road trip, you need a playlist. You need songs. Here are my four songs. This is song three, Mercy, Psalm 130. That's what we're going to do. Mercy for the long haul. When I was a little boy, probably from the time that I was in kindergarten until I was in fifth or sixth grade, here's what my Friday nights look like at my house. My friends would come over to my house and we would go upstairs to my playroom and it was a pretty big playroom and we had a Fisher Price basketball goal with a rubber basketball and I would go into the closet and I would open my closet up and I would get my black with red pinstripes Michael Jordan jersey from 1996 and I would put it on and my friends became Ron Harper and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Luke Longley, and we became the 1996 Chicago Bulls. I'm in kindergarten. And it was magical. And it was magical. Of course, I was Michael Jordan. And we just balled out up there every single Friday night. And then every, like clockwork, when we would be really tired and we would be so smelly and stinky, we would smell something else. It would be another scent, and it was Pillsbury Doughboy chocolate chip cookies. Because without us asking, my dad would make us dozens of chocolate chip cookies. And when Sam, – Sam is excited about it. Uh, <laughs> You're not Sam. He heard cookies. And, um, and so he would – he would make dozens of cookies for us. And we're, again, you know how old we are. And we're pumped about this. And he's the only person in my life that calls me Maddie. And he would just yell, Maddie, cookies are ready. Y'all come on. And we would drop everything, no matter where we were in the game. He'd be in the middle of the last second shot, game winner from Jordan, me. And we would just go downstairs. And we would rush downstairs. And there would be a scene before us. A culinary scene of like five or six chocolate chip cookies, massive ones, stacked on top of each other in China. And for each of us, he'd have it laid out. And next to the cookies on the plate, the napkins were folded. Fine China for kindergartners. And this was like, he would do this for years. And my friend, my childhood best friend, Trey, he would always be like, Man, Matt's dad's chocolate chip cookies, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I would just be like, dude, they're Pillsbury Doughboy. Like, but there was something about this that was really sweet looking back on my life. Like, why did my dad do that? Compassion. 
he didn't have to tell me that I knew that because a part of my life, as I'm letting you guys into so much of my life and what I've gone through with my brother, the second, the hardest thing that I've gone through is my parents' divorce and what life was like for my household from the time I was in kindergarten to sixth or seventh grade. And my dad wanted me to know cookies are ready was a way of saying, I see you. I see you in your pain. I see you in your joylessness. I see you in your hopelessness. Have some joy. Joy is on the table. And that relationship between me and my dad is a relationship that is rooted deeply in compassion and mercy. And that's a relationship that has been a long haul relationship for me because it's not been a relationship that I have to tiptoe around and I have to look over my shoulder. I know what I'm getting with my dad. And he set the tone with those little mundane acts of Pillsbury Doughboy cookies. Cookies are ready. In order for us to do this lifelong journey in the Christian life, only mercy will sustain you. Law, rule-keeping, spiritualizing yourself to death so God will approve of you, being missional enough, being the best witness at UT or in your sorority or fraternity or your friend group. Great things. It will burn you out. If there is no mercy, mercy is the fuel for us because any relationship that's not rooted in mercy, it will result in tiptoeing stuff and over your shoulder looking and it will end in burned out, burnout. So mercy is the fuel. And that's what we're going to see in Psalm 130. Let's read it. This is God's word, not a theology exam or a book of rules, but he's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, should mark my sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. Israel, hope in the Lord for with the Lord, there is steadfast love. There's Hesed again, steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for walking with us today. Thank you for the delicious pizza we just ate. It's just more daily bread from you. Thank you for all the laughter today. Thank you for the naps today. Thank you for kickball and for football and for soccer, for pickleball and all of it. A gift from you because you are merciful. Lord, open our eyes to the beauty of your word and help us just to see your grace from Jesus in a fresh way and that we would lean on it for the long haul. We ask it in his name. Amen. Our game plan is this. First, mercy. Second, long haul. Mercy, long haul. Let's do the first one. Mercy. Only mercy will sustain you. 
And you need to know you need fuel because the road is tumultuous. The road is messy. We got honest about that this morning, didn't we? So you know you're going to have to gear up for this. And you're going to need fuel because you will run out of fuel. So what's going to sustain you? When you become overwhelmed with your sin, like the psalmist is, if, if, you were to, if you were to count my sins, I would be undone, he says. When we're up front and close and personal with our sin, it's overwhelming to us. And we need fuel. And, and again, I, I want you to see God's response when we're overwhelmed by our sin. It's mercy. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. I love this paraphrase. This is a paraphrase of verse 1 and 2. Help God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard, open your ears, listen to my cries for mercy. He's trying to get God's attention because he's looking at his sins and they are innumerable. If you were to count them, I would be undone. I would be toast. The only hope, the only shot for me is mercy and compassion. That's what he's saying. He's trying to get God's attention. Do you sense the urgency in his voice when he sees his sin in front of him? When my daughter Annie needs food or needs something, she's trying to get my attention. She knows exactly what she wants. She might not know how to say it, but she is trying to get our attention with urgency. There's no games with my daughter Annie when she's wanting something. There is no game. This is no game for Psalm 130 when he sees his sin. So what do we see that the psalmist does with his sins once he sees it? Sees it. He owns them and he throws himself on God. He throws himself on God like a scared little boy. And that's the point. He's saying, look, when it comes to my sin, I don't have any chance. I'm overwhelmed by that. Now, what do I do with it? With you, there is forgiveness. I'm throwing myself on your mercy. It's my only shot because I won't last one author paraphrases with you, there's forgiveness this way. One commentator says this, as it turns out, Lord, forgiveness is your habit. Forgiveness is your habit. Steadfast love, said covenantal, faithful love and forgiveness. It's your habit. It's who you are. When Jesus looked at the crowds in that field, when he fed the 5,000, it says that he was moved with compassion And it says that he was moved with his heart from his guts on his insides. God's like gut reaction for you being overwhelmed with your sin is mercy every time. It's like in his core. Samaritan woman, mercy. We can go on and on in his guts. It's who he is. Forgiveness is your habit. That's who you're dealing with this fall at UT. And it's limitless. And it's new every morning. It does not run out. And if any version, listen, if any version of Christianity that you hear in your head or outside that says that God's mercy has limits, run for the hills. I'm not kidding. There's a movie called Calvary, and it's one of my favorite movies. It's from 2014, and it's about an Irish priest named Father James. Father James, before he went into the priesthood, he was married, his wife passed away, and he has a daughter who um, is suicidal, and she has all kinds of problems, and she's in her early 30s in the movie. And Father James is a priest on, the Irish, on an Irish coast, and he's this faithful parish priest, and the, the people who he's caring for and pastoring, they're so 
rugged and they're so eclectic and they basically hate him. His basic pastoral ministry job is like turning the cheek, his other cheek every single day, dying to self every single day. And there's this crucial scene between Father James and his daughter, Fiona is her name. And she's getting honest with him about her suicide attempts and the fact that she's essentially seen in the community as a prostitute. And they're having a conversation on the phone and Fiona describing her suicide attempts and just her life in general. She says, Father, I know how you would have responded if I would have told you all that I've done. You would have thought it would have been a mortal sin, a mortal sin. Would you have thought that I would have suffered eternal damnation, Father? Father James responds with absolute composure. He says, God is great and the limits of his mercy have not been set. The limits of his mercy have not been set. Never running out every single morning, no matter what you do, no matter what you've done this year, does not run out. Don't believe any version of Christianity that says anything else. That's one of the things that I love about RUF so much. When I was a student and the fact that I get to say it every Tuesday night at large group with my crew, God's grace is the only fuel and it's a fuel that never runs dry ever, no matter what you've done. And Fiona needed to hear that from her dad because she knew in her experience, in her bones, in her life, that mercy was her only shot. And you know that too. And I know that. I want you to just be honest, even as I was talking about God's no limit, new every morning kind of mercy. Maybe you were thinking about the sins in your life that overwhelm you. We all have like socially acceptable sins like materialism. Anyone else? Barber jackets, right? On the other hand, we have these socially unacceptable sins that are so taboo and secret. No one knows. No one knows. I want you to see that for both, you get the same response from Jesus. And I had a friend in college um, say to me one time, Matt, I'm so glad that the areas of my life that I say are off limits, that's exactly where Jesus goes with his grace. Where I say off limits, that's where he's going. And if you do a survey of the Gospels and see how Jesus treats people, it's always off-limits, people doing off-limits stuff, always. And he's zooming in on that place of, of your life, not the polished parts of you. The very secret corners of your life that no one else knows about, that's on your mind right now when I'm talking about it. That's where he's going. Friday Night Lights again, okay? So you have Tammy and Coach, Coach Taylor, Eric Taylor and Tammy Taylor. Coach Taylor is the football coach of Dillon High School in East Dillon. And then Tammy Taylor, who is the best character of the show, such a legend. Um, and she is the guidance counselor for the schools. And she is like relentless in her love for that community. And so is Coach Taylor. And there's five seasons of this show. And these students, both at the school with, Coach, with Tammy Taylor and the football team, they go through 
all kinds of crazy stuff in the show in five seasons. Vince, this morning, is one of them. Tim Riggins, Billy Riggins, I could go on and on. It, they just go through all kinds of things. And if you look, there's a pattern with the Taylors. There's a pattern. During, like, during like, the Christmas episodes, they'll have the community over for dinner, and it's an eclectic mix of essentially the taboo people in the community that people don't want to hang out with, the widows of the community who are lonely, and essentially kind of the, the tax collectors and prostitutes of Dillon, Texas. And if you had to summarize, this is my summary of Coach Taylor and Tammy Taylor's like posture towards the community, towards the school, towards their neighbors, towards the team, it's these two words, we're here. No matter what, we're here. And the people that are close with them know that it's a, it's a relationship that is rooted in mercy, rooted in inexhaustible hospitality and love. And that's why they're so safe. If you've seen the show, everyone goes to them because they're so safe, because they can fall apart, because they, can be the, they, they don't have to polish up for them. Mercy. Let's go to the next one, long haul. Long haul. How are you going to be a Christian when you're 32 years old? That's how old I am. Mercy. Not rules, not human effort, not law. Mercy for the long haul. When you struggle in your marriage, not if. When you grieve, not if. When you experience depression and anxiety attacks, whatever it is. What's going to sustain you through it? Mercy will for the long haul. And I, I think this is a helpful language that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer. Y'all know this. Some of the first words of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So we see the mercy of Jesus' forgiveness in the first point. I want you to kind of shift a little bit. And I want you to think about daily bread mercy every day. Kickball today was daily bread mercy because Jesus loves to delight and give you good gifts. That's also mercy. He didn't have to do that. Y'all have laughed all day long together. Gift, daily bread, mercy. Your life is a feast of this kind of mercy. So I don't, I don't, it's, it's easy for us to only think about God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion in regards to like a courtroom setting where we're in trouble and we need someone to die for us. Of course he did that, but it's your feast of your life. It's your body that works. It's your car that you drive. It's your parents and your friends who would do anything for you. Your life is daily bread and mercy. It's not a one-time deal when you said some prayer at a camp. It's daily. It's every day. Cookies are ready. Now. Eat it. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me lie down. He feeds me. He guides me. And he is with me. We can't feed ourselves. You can't make your cup overflow on your own. You can't sustain yourself through this thing. One-way compassion from God is the fuel. Your life is grace. And I, I, wanna, I want you to ask, ask yourself and think about the daily bread mercy gifts of your life in this season right now at UT. I've heard about a few of them this weekend. 
Cabo Bob's. Amen. <laughs> Bucky's. <laughs> what is, you know, I got to go. Jordan, we got to go. Franklin Barbecue. Lucky Lab Coffee. You have football in DKR. You have Tex-Mex out the wazoo. I've never had chips and salsa like y'all got it. Like daily bread if I've ever had it. You have each other. You have RUF. You have this weekend. You have how God has done these daily bread meticulous decisions where he says, mercy right there. That meal, that friendship, that conversation. Giving you clarity on what you should study, getting your whatever it is. Convincing you to come to fall conference. Mercy. It's a feast. And I think that's actually helpful if we were to really unpack that. I mean, Jordan and I on Thursday night went to this restaurant and we feasted. It was not a meal where we like got enough. We see each other a few times a year. We sat down and we both with no words, we said, we're going to be here for a while. And we feasted. And if that's your life, that is your life. And he wants you to taste it and enjoy it. So it's the grace of forgiveness, but also the grace of daily bread gifts your whole life. And I, I want, I hope that you're seeing as I'm describing this, the mercy of like the irreligious taboo sins and then the materialism stuff or whatever that's like socially acceptable sins and how God meets us with his mercy. And then I also want you to see the daily bread forgiveness of just your life, the mundane daily bread acts of mercy from God. I hope you see that following God in a fallen world for the long haul, it starts to change. Do you feel freer as we're talking about this? Are we going to just follow God because we're trying to earn something anymore? You got to be kidding me. We can't earn any of it. The motivation to follow God and to follow Jesus and to take up our cross and love our neighbors and love the outcast and do all these things to give ourselves away is because of gratitude now. The motivation changes. You can just give yourself away because no, there's no going back once you've tasted the mercy like this. I've got to wash feet now. You've washed mine. I've got to welcome other people now the way you've welcomed me. Right? I just got to do this. Not to earn anything. Gratitude. It's one big thank you with your life. That's what it is. I hope you see it's a subtle change. Because God's law is lovely and it does lead to life. There's a whole other genre of psalms. We mentioned laments and psalms of ascent. There's one called the Torah Psalms where God's people just celebrate the beauty of God's law because it's, it's like a roadmap that's the most beautiful life ever. But if you're not motivated to do that beautiful life with the fuel of grace, you won't last it. It's a great map, but it can't give you the fuel. Only mercy will. I hope you hear that. All right, here's where this stick to me in my, my own life. Talk to my dad. I want to talk about my JV basketball coach. Okay, so when I was in ninth grade, I made the varsity basketball team and got moved up. It was a big deal and was going to try to walk on and play college basketball. And I, it was everything to me. Basketball was life to me. Ball is life. 
And um, so I got, uh, I was on the varsity team, but I was like playing, the, I was the backup point guard for a guy that went on and, to play at Vanderbilt and was the best player I've ever seen in my life, which means I never got to play. So when we had these tournaments, the JV tournaments, and if it was on a weekend where the varsity team wasn't playing, they had moved me back down to JV and I could be the starting point guard for that team. So that's what they were doing. And I was playing and I had a really terrible game. I was in my head. I was playing with this kind of tiptoe posture. I was just, I was not playing like myself at all. All the turnovers, I was the point guard. I'm trying to come in and be this floor general kind of player and lead. The varsity guy is coming back down, right? So I had a terrible game. And I'm in the locker room before this, and we're about to like go into warm-ups to play a new game, and I'm just in it. I'm in it. I, I used to dip in high school. I have like a dip in my mouth, and I'm just like, what's happening? <clears throat> you know, and yeah, vulnerability, right? Intimacy. Um, anyway, so I am freaking out. My coach could tell I was freaking out. He had coached me since eighth grade. And one, two, three, break, they leave. And he says, Matt, stay in the locker room. And I was like, am I going to go down to like middle school team now? Uh, He corners me and he just says, what is going on with you? And I was like, I know the turnovers. And and he interrupted me. I was like, and he said, what are you thinking? And I heard more judgment. I was like, I know, I know, I know. And he's like, no, Matt, stop. That's not what I'm saying. You are my point guard. No matter what happens out there this game. If you have the worst game of the year, you're my point guard. He went, walked through all these scenarios of worst case scenario, thinking in my mind about how I could possibly play. And he ended every sentence with, you're my point guard. I would run through a wall for that coach. Because it is a relationship rooted in mercy. It's a relationship rooted in grace. Because I went out after that. How do y'all think I played? I didn't like, I didn't, statistically, I, but how, what, what was my like demeanor? I was free. I could be Matt. I didn't have to earn anything anymore. I didn't have to tiptoe anymore. I didn't have to play with a posture of insecurity about like if I do this or that or if I don't do this or that, I might get moved down or kicked off. I was his guy. And he told me that. And that relationship, even though I was not a Christian, has always stuck with me of how God relates to us. It's a relationship rooted and founded on mercy, not law. I love this. One Puritan says this in in a poem He says, run, work, the law commands, but it gives me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings. It tells me to fly and it gives me the wings. Run and work. Run and work. Run and work. You won't have the means to do it according to law only. Rules only, human effort only, winning people's approval, winning God's approval only. But the gospel says fly and you got the wings. You got the wings. Brennan Manning said this, my deepest awareness of myself 
Don't you want to listen to any sentence that begins with the, my deepest awareness of myself? The deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus and I have nothing, I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. And when you can say that about your life, I think I can get behind following that God. I think I'll follow him. I think I will forgive other people. Why? He's, I'm forgiven. I think I'll welcome others. Why? He's welcomed me. I think I'll love socially awkward people at UT. Why? Because Jesus has loved you in the awkwardness of who you are, and he's loved you anyway. We're all freaks, right? And he loves us. He's moved towards us. I don't know where your mind went when I was listing sort of those taboo sins. I really don't. I, and I mean, I actually do. Like, some of y'all have let me in on this, that, this weekend, the parts and corners of your life that feel off limits, that feel really scary. And I just want you to know, I want you to hear that the Bible says that the mercy that God's, God responds with to those parts of your life is the only response you'll get from Jesus. So what do we do? We can get honest about those parts of our life like this morning. We don't have to pretend anymore and lean on mercy for the long haul because it will sustain you. If you were to do like a survey in the Bible, a biblical survey of this understanding of like, can't, basically, can you lose your salvation or not? The overwhelming answer is no, you cannot. Why? God's mercy sustains you. He who started a work in you will finish it. John 10, I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. No one can snatch my sheep from my hand. I will keep your going out and your coming in. No matter, it's overwhelming. The biblical testimony says, I will sustain you with my mercy. Let's just lean on it.